Amen. Amen. Good morning. And welcome to Grace. You all stand with us. We're going to sing out together. And I just wanted to make this disclaimer. I've been working really hard the last three days to lose my voice. So feel free if I'm on a high note, just kind of <laughs> plug your ears or something. Or sound really loud even better. But uh, it's great to be here to worship with you guys. So uh, let's sing out. This is a new song. Um, so just join with us as soon as you get the hang of it.
that is greater than your mercy. And we thank you for that. Pray in Jesus' name. Thank you. 
Uh, and then also the Mercy Team. Uh, this is if you are if you've got gifts like uh, cooking and caring for people and want to help people out when they're in a tight spot. Uh, our Mercy Team provides meals for folks when they're going through a hard time. Also, of course, giving them words of encouragement as well. And so you can see that green sort of if you want to get involved in that way. Um, but a lot of different a lot of different things going on. And uh, I was just sharing with my assistant pastor. And I've been talking about this with a couple of different people lately. Uh, but I'm excited about where we are as a church. I feel like we've got people more involved than we ever have before as far as, far as just the percentage of the body of you know, numbers of people that are getting involved in the community, that are serving, that are getting involved in different ways. And I just want to thank you for that because I am seeing that, and that's an encouragement to me, and I think it's also an encouragement to this, to this city. Um, part of what we're going to be talking about today is how uh, we are to be of use to the city. And the way that we do that is that we have faith that God has a future city for us. So we're going to continue our series in Hebrews. If you want to open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11. We'll look at the first half this week. Um, and I also wanted to let you know, probably after we finish our Hebrews series, we're going to go back and do some kind of highlights of the Old Testament. Because in Hebrews 11, we get this rundown of basically the entire Old Testament. So I'm not going to be spending a lot of time on those examples, uh, but spending more time on the, the main ideas of faith. Uh, and faith in the future home that we are going to be talking about here in Hebrews 11. It's page 1007. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black Bibles in the chairs. And we're in page 1007 there. Um, St. Augustine was a famous church father who wrote a book called The City of God. Anybody ever heard of this, this work? It's one of the famous kind of foundational works of, of uh, the Christian faith, but, but also of Western civilization. Augustine's a pretty, pretty famous guy. And uh, what Augustine argued in The City of God... Uh, he was arguing against pagans who said uh, that the Roman Empire was crumbling because we had given up on our old gods. That was kind of what a lot of the uh, pagan folks were saying. They were saying, oh no, now that we're all in with this Christianity stuff here, you know, Christianity became legal, now that we're all in with that, now the empire is crumbling, the gods are angry at us, so we better go back to our old saviors, is basically what people were arguing as the Roman Empire began to crumble in the 400s A.D., and so Augustine wrote this book, The City of God, to help people see that there's always been this conflict between the city of man, what man is building, and the city of God, what God is doing in the world. And just because life is difficult, just because things are crumbling, does not mean that we should give up on our true Savior. That does not mean that we should give up on God. And that's really kind of what the whole series of... Hebrews has been about. We've been talking about this better Savior concept that again and again the author of Hebrews is saying, don't go back to your old saviors, right? If life gets difficult, don't go back to the bottle. Continue to trust in Jesus. If life gets difficult, don't go back to that bad relationship, but continue to trust in Jesus because He is a better Savior. He's the only one that can save you completely. And so this week, he's applying that to this future home concept that we see in, in chapter 11. We're calling it a better city. And he's saying that all these Old Testament characters had faith in God because they were sure that he was preparing a better place for them. Does it sound familiar? John 14 talks about that. Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you, right? In my Father's house are many rooms. Or in the Old King James says, many mansions, right? There's, there's a great home that Jesus is preparing for us. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm going there, preparing this place for you. There's this future home for you. You're not just on your own, but you have a future. You have a hope. And so that guides how we live in the here and now. My, my thesis is, the only way that you're going to be of any use to this city that God has you in now, is if you don't put all your hope in the city. If you put your hope in the future city, then God's going to set you free to be of use to this city, or whatever city He calls you to. Does that make sense? If you put all your hope in what you have right now, it's going to fail you. It's going to crumble. God is always calling us to have faith in what He's providing in the future country, in the future homeland. And then that sets us free to, to be free agents, to be able to love and bless whatever city He calls us to. So let's read. We're going to back up a little bit and get, again, a little couple of verses from last week's passage in chapter 10. We'll start off in verse 38. And I'm going to kind of skip over some of the Old Testament examples that he gives and just try to hit the highlights of his explanatory notes. We'll, we'll pick up those Old Testament examples as we go through. And the sermon is, as I said, we're going to do kind of a series on those guys in a couple of months as well. But starting in 1038, it says, My righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
Right? And we talked about that last week. There's this dynamic you have. If you are hiding from God, then you don't have faith in His forgiveness and His goodness. Right? Our call is to have faith in God so that we can approach Him, so that we can draw near, is this phrase that, that we see again and again in the Scriptures. What happens is often many of us, when we sin, when we stumble, we think, well, well man, I'm in trouble now. I've got to go hide from God. Right? I've got to shrink back. I don't have faith. He says we should have faith. And he says, verse 39, we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we're of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And we're, we're those people. That, that's who we are as God's people. We're of those who have faith. We trust Him. And so now in 11, verse 1, he's going to explain this more. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That means faith is something very sure and solid. It, it may not always make sense, but faith is this sureness, this assurance, this there's a solidity there, a confidence, to use what we talked about last week in, in chapter 10. There's this confidence we have, a conviction of things not seen. Verse 2 says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What he's saying here is, is we understand that, that what is seen is not all there is. In Romans 1 it says, by what is seen, we obviously know about God and what is not seen. We all just know it. And that's, that's faith. We just know that there's this God beyond what we see. What we see is evidence of, of the unseen. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's skip down past some of these examples and go to verse 6. It says in verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. You believe that He is, and you believe that He is a rewarding God. He rewards those who love Him, who seek Him. We'll skip down to verse 10. He's been talking about Abraham, and then in verse 10 He says, For He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's what He was looking forward to. That's what changed the way Abraham lived. And then again, skipping down to verse 13. All of these examples, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. That's how we are to live. Not that we belong to this city, or not that we belong to whatever the next city is that God calls you to, but that we belong to this heavenly city. That's who we belong to. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Let's pray and ask God to, to teach us about this. Father, we ask that You would teach us. God, there, there's a, a lot of different things floating around. I know we, we've all come in with different burdens different distractions. And Father, I just pray that you'd give us a clarity this morning. That you'd help us to hear from you that we wouldn't be stuck in the city of man, but that you'd give us faith and eyes to see the city of God, this better city that you've prepared for us. God, help us to then live in light of that in the here and now. Father, I pray that our lives would be rocked by faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the... Uh, one of the most difficult things uh, for me when I first moved to this city to, to plant a new church in 2006 was this thing that I would hear again and again from people uh, that were new to the city often because most people here are new, right? How many of you have lived here more than five years? Raise your hand. Okay, a, a minority, less than half, right? Um, the, there's this refrain that I heard again and again and it really kind of bothered me. I would hear people talk about how they really didn't want to be in the city. Have you ever heard anyone say that about Colleen? A few of you, maybe? Yeah. People would complain about how hot it is, right? How bad the traffic is and how dead the grass is and how there's nothing to do here and how the murder rate's one of the highest in the country. You know, silly things like that. And, and people would just kind of have this negative attitude about Colleen, this negative attitude about Fort Hood. Apparently, Fort Hood is not on the top of the list for people in the army, you know, when they're trying to figure out where they're going to go. They, when they get assigned here, they feel like they got stuck here, often, right? Uh, they feel like they ended up here. Um, and, and that's been tough for me to hear because I felt like God called me here. 
right? I mean, God called me to move here. And, and I have to admit, I've admitted this to you guys before. I grew up on the other side of Bell County. So I was, I was taught, I was trained from a very young age to, to think of Plain as a very evil and dark place. And because I was, you know, raised in this rival town, right? We were football rivals, rival high schools. And so, so that was kind of, you know, bred into me from a very early age. But God called me to see the city as beautiful and to see the city in need of the gospel. And part of the way he did that in my life was giving me my true hope in that eternal city, in that future city. As I said earlier, our thesis is that if your hope rests entirely in the heavenly city that God has provided for you, that turns you loose to love whatever city he calls you to. Does that make sense? If all your hope is in this city, you're going to be disappointed, right? This city cannot bear that weight of hope. This city cannot fulfill all of your desires and all of your needs. And yes, there may be some other city that can do a better job, but, but what I want to tell you is that other city can't really do it either. Just because just another city may be better, another situation might be better, another job might be better, another relationship might be better. Don't put all your hope in that city. Don't put all your hope in that scenario. But put your hope in God. Put your hope in Him, and then He will turn you loose to, to be able to be free, to be able to love whatever city you're called to, to be able to love whatever family He puts you in, to be whatever, able to love whatever job He calls you to. And, and that's the dynamic of, of this Christian faith, and that's what we saw in these Old Testament characters. These Old Testament characters and the way they cite them again and again throughout our passage, they'll be examples of people that knew they had something better, right? All their hope wasn't in the here and now, but their hope is in what God was doing for them in the future. In Acts 17, it says that God made from every uh, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. And I think a lot of us don't believe that, right? A lot of us just think bad luck determined my boundaries and my dwelling place, right? We may think that uh, it was my family that determined. My boundary, my dwelling place. It was the army that determined my boundary and my dwelling place. It was my boss. It was whatever it was. It was this tragedy that drove me to this dwelling place. What the scripture says is that God has set you where he has set you. He has called you to the places that he's called you to be of his service. To represent him. To represent the city of God in here and now in the city of man. To bring his kingdom come in this reality. And that's God's desire for your life. Well, in those first few verses, we see that faith is the assurance of these things hoped for. Um, it's not so much a definition of faith as it is a description of faith, right? Faith looks like something. Faith looks like conviction. Faith looks like confidence. Faith looks like an assurance that God is good, that he, that he rewards us, that He loves us, that He wants our best, that He's preparing a home for us. That's that's what faith is. In the book of James, you get, you get a similar idea, right? That faith looks like something. It's one thing to say you have a faith. It's another thing to really have faith. And it's going to flesh itself out in real life. It's going to make you live in a different way. And, and following this, this city idea here, it's going to make you of use to the city that you live in now. You're going to be a blessing to this city because your faith is not all in the city. Your faith is in what God is doing. Your faith is your assurance and hope in what He is doing in the future. The first thing I think we need to understand with these first couple of examples he gives us, uh, starting in verse 4, is that it's the city of God. That God's calling us to have faith in the city of God, right? Don't have faith in yourself. Don't have faith in your own abilities. Don't have faith in, in your temporary circumstances. But have faith in God and what he is doing in his city, what he is building. Now, there's this refrain in the Old Testament that we've seen pop up in Hebrews and and I've said before, it's the most common refrain in the Bible that God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That, that's his promise, that he's building a community with him. That he will actually be our king. He will be our mayor. That, that he will be our, our leader and our shepherd. He says, I will come and live among you. That's one of the most common promises of the Bible. That that's what we hope in. We hope in a life where, where God makes things right, right? Where, where it's, it's the world as it should be. And he says that this is going to shape the way we live. If we hope in that, if we have a conviction in that truth, if we are assured by that, it's going to shape us. In 11.4 it says, 11.4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. 
And as I said, we're going to come back later. We're going to look at all these Old Testament stories a little bit more in detail. But I just want to hit on some of the highlights of it here. It says that he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And then it says, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He died. If you don't know the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible, it's one of the first stories in Genesis. Things went very badly for Abel. Okay? Uh, as I said, we'll come back to this story later. But Abel was murdered by his brother. Abel's brother, Cain, hated him and murdered him. And he's citing him as the first example here of living by faith. How often are you tempted to think, God has nothing to do with my life because my life is difficult. My life is broken. My life is messed up, so, so God's abandoned me. And here he cited as the first example of what it means to walk by faith. This guy was commended by God, and his life still speaks even though he's dead, even though he was murdered, even though his brother hated him. Can any of you, don't raise your hand, can any of you relate to that, right? We, we, we know a, a taste of what this looks like, right? We've had people hate us, we've had people abuse us, we've had people hurt us, and he says God still speaks through his life. His life still speaks of God. Read verse 5. He talks about another example here. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The first thing is you have to believe that he is. Right? That's a basic that's called into question in our culture, but Romans 1 says it's only called into question because we're suppressing it, kind of trying to push down this truth that we all know. We just see it in creation by the seen things we know about the unseen things, but we, we suppress that truth. We push that down and try to deny it. Because first you have to know He is there, and also then it says that He rewards those who seek Him. That God is good, right? But that's how we are pleasing to God, and that's how he's pleasing to us, is knowing that God is good, that he's a rewarding God, that he's a good God. And, and that, uh, that defines our faith. And, and he's using them, this as an explanation, with these two examples of, of Enoch and Abel. And I think it's fascinating because Enoch and Abel were both commended by God. This word commended is the word we would use for like a witness or a testimony, right? Uh, a, a court a court person, a court witness would testify right to the facts of the situation. It's the same word here. Often in the English, it's translated as martyr because that's the Greek word is martyreto. So we we translate it as martyr. And what do you guys think of as the word martyr? Right? You probably you probably think someone who died for their faith. Anybody think that? Right? That, that's what we usually think of in modern English usage. But it just means a witness. And so it's it's kind of showing us there by use that. Witnesses to God and His goodness often die for that witness. So I'm sorry, you may all want to pull out of your membership here at the church now with, with that knowledge. But but it, it often doesn't go badly in the here and now in the city of man. It often goes badly, I should say, for those who are witnesses who commend God. God says here, using that same word, well, that He was a He was a witness to them. That God commended them. He's a witness to them and testified to them that they were. Righteous because they trusted him. We've got this idea that we've seen in Hebrews that by faith, by God's grace, we're seen as righteous. And it's a gift because we just, we just trust God. He gives us his righteousness freely. And we have a similarity that both of these guys are committed. Both of them were righteous. Both of them had faith. But they had two different kinds of lives, didn't they? Which life would you rather lead? Would you rather lead the able life who was hated and murdered? Or would you rather lead the Enoch life? Enoch was a good guy, and God just said, hey, I'll just take you to heaven. No death. What do you think? Which would you prefer? Okay. Right. The people that prefer the Enoch life, you're the ones that have had that conversation where you say, I hope I just die gently in my sleep before I get too old or too sick. Right? I felt that way, too. I have to admit that. Yeah, I wish I could just die simply and easily and, and painlessly. Right? But for the most part, most of us, our lives are a little more like Abel. Because you're sitting here, you haven't been murdered, but you've, most of us have been hated, right? I mean, most of us have been through abuse, most of us have been through terrible stuff. Most of us, our life looks more like Abel's life. And I think it's cool that he says in this example, both of them were commended by God. Both of them had faith, and both of them, their lives speak, right? Verse 4 says, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. 
These guys were committed. God had something to say about them, right? He had a witness, a testimony to share about these guys. These guys are my people. I'm pleased with these guys. They trusted me. And it says their lives speak about who God is. It says later on about that as well, that these lives, all of these lives speak about who God is. I was thinking about what our lives testify to, right? When, when you die, your life is going to tell a story. I found a, a picture of a tombstone. Uh, this one just says grim. Somebody thought that was funny, so they took a picture of it. Um, but often tombstones have like maybe a little phrase, right? Summarize someone's life. Y'all ever looked at a, a tombstone before? Sometimes they'll kind of try to capture the story of someone's life. Died young, or here's your birthday, or you know whatever it is. They might tell a little bit. Um, one, of the, one of the actual pleasures, and that sounds weird, but one of the pleasures and joys of doing funerals is, is getting to kind of piece together that story. You, you get to meet with different family members, and you get to hear the story of, of people kind of appreciating the life of someone. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. You start to see that, wow, there's this cohesive story, right? You, you hear a little bit from the cousin. You hear a little bit from the best friend, a little bit from the coworker, from the mom and dad. And things begin to come together. And everyone's life tells a story. He's saying here that, that these guys' lives, their lives told the story of God and who he was doing and their hope in the future promise that God had for them. And my question for you guys is, is what, what is the story that God's telling? What are, what are you hoping in? Are you investing all of your life in, in the city of, of man, in your city, and what you can build? Or are you investing your life in the city of God? What's the story that's going to be told when you die? If, if I have the opportunity to do your funeral, what am I going to collect from people? When, when I interview people in your family, what, what are they going to say? People that worked with you, people that knew you well. What, what's going to be the overwhelming story of your life? Will you testify to who God is? Will the actions, will the things that you've done speak, even though you've died, will they speak to who God is? says, Abel, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That, that's our call as well, that we would speak to the city of God and not just to the city of man. We wouldn't just leave everything in the here and now. The next example is, is Noah and Abraham. In Noah and Abraham, we see that they had a faith in the city with foundations, right? That if we put all our eggs in the basket of the city of, of now, of the city of man, of wherever we live right now, or wherever we're going to live in two years... We invest all our energy in that. Uh, what the scriptures tell us is, is that that doesn't have a foundation. That's not secure, right? What happens when a house doesn't have a foundation? It, it crumbles, right? It, it falls. I have a picture here of a foundation. You have to dig down deep and you have to pay uh, attention to building underneath a house to make sure there's a solid foundation. I lived in a pier and beam house and the foundation were cedar piers. And, and that's not much of a foundation when you've got uh, black clay that expands and contracts every time it rains. And so you'll go downtown in Colleen or downtown in the Temple and see these old wood frame houses, and some of them kind of look like this. The floor kind of has a little movement to it because the different piers have sunk and moved and changed and, and shifted. Well, what he's telling us in the scripture is that we know that the city that God is preparing for us is secure. It, it has a real foundation. This world is not lasting. That this world, that there's no real foundation. That it is insecure. It's not something that we can trust in. Look at verse 7. He says in verse 7, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, we're, we live in the 21st century. We don't like the word condemn, right? Uh, it kind of seems intolerant and mean. Um, and, but, but let me try to explain this to you a little bit so it doesn't turn you off too much. Uh, the word condemning the world here, I think, is in context with what he's going to then tell us about the, the faith of all these other people. That, that they had a faith not in this world, right? Not in their investment account, not in their job, not in their family, not in their current situation, but they had a faith in the world to come. And so Noah condemning this world wasn't about Noah being hateful, right? It was about Noah saying, this, this world is not going to last. This world is not going to do it. This city isn't going to give me life, but only that future city will give me life. We get more from, from Abraham in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. 
And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He wanted the city that was solid, right? He didn't want the city that was just going to crumble again. And that's the story of so many of our lives, right? We invest so much in the city or in this situation, this relationship, this new fix, this silver bullet that's going to fix our life, that's going to make everything okay. And we pour all this time, we pour all this energy, and we make these offerings to this other God, this other place of security, and say, if I work really hard at this, then I'm going to be okay. Then I'm going to be safe. Then my family's going to be happy. Then we're going to be all right. And he's saying, no, trust in the foundation of the true city that God is building for us. It, it is solid. It is secure. Look again at what it says in verse 8. The, the end of verse 8. It's talking about Abraham. It says, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You ever feel like that with God? God's calling you to trust in, in the future city. And you, you go out and... And you don't really know where you're going. And you want to say, or at least I want to say, maybe you're holier than me, but I, I want to say, God, if, if you would tell me where I'll be next week, and the week after that, and give me the five-year plan, the ten-year plan, and maybe some charts and graphs, I could trust you better. Right? Isn't that what you think? Maybe it's just me. I, I think that way. I think that, God, if you would just give me the five-year plan, if you just give me the 20-year plan, I could trust you better. I'd have more faith. Right? And God says, no, I'm just going to give you the 100-year plan. I'm just going to give you the plan for, for the other side of the grave. If you trust me, I'm going to get you there. If you trust me, I'm going to get you there. And if you'll trust that I will get you there, that that city has a foundation, that that city is secure, that that city is the place of joy, that I will reward you, that I will be pleased with you, that I love you, if you will trust me, then you'll be set free to live well in this city. Then you'll be set free to live well in the city, even if he doesn't give you the five-year plan. Even if he doesn't even give you the two-week plan, right? He, he's not giving you a lot of extra details. He's not giving you charts. He's not giving you maps. He's saying, trust me. You're going to be all right. I'm going to walk with you through this. Remember we referenced before, Jesus said that he's going to prepare a place for us in John 14. And he says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending the comforter. I'm going to give my Holy Spirit to come with you and walk through this with you. In Romans, Paul says that same Holy Spirit helps us to cry out, Abba, Father, we know that He loves us. We know that we can walk with Him. We know, like it says in Psalm 23, that He's our good shepherd. Not in the sense of He'll never let us walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but in the sense of He goes with us through the valley of the shadow of death. That's where we live right now. We, we live in the valley of the shadow of death. This world is that valley. We live in a broken place. We live in a hard place. And God calls on us to trust in that future that he's set for us so that we can walk well through the difficulty that we're in now. The next thing that we see is that we should have faith in the future city. Not the now, not the here now, not the immediate, not the what you see right in front of you but in this future that he's providing for us. And I think the difficulty for us is, is to take our death grip off of what we can control now, let, let go of that, so that we can receive and, and trust in the future that God has for us. And that's a difficult thing. So we've poured a lot of energy into the here and now. We've poured a lot of energy into building this life, right? Into this retirement account, into these relationships, into controlling our family so that everything works out okay. And, and God says, don't invest so much in the now. Invest in the future. Trust in the future that I'm going to provide for you. And when you're trusting in that, then that will set you free to serve, to love, to give in the here and now. Just as Jesus did. Just as he was willing to sacrifice his own self. In verse 11 it says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. So she considered him faithful who had promised. Uh, in different translations, people kind of disagree on this. They, they think from the Greek grammar, they may be talking about uh, Abraham and Sarah, or, or just Sarah, kind of depending on how you translate the Greek. I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, I think the main thing here is the point of faith, right? By faith, God did big things in their life. By faith, God used impotent, barren people and allowed them to be fruitful. That, that's the story of the Bible. And I think that gives great hope to us. Because all of us have been in that situation, right? 
Maybe not physically not being able to have children, but impotent and barren in some area of our life. Right? We've run up against some brick wall somewhere where we've said, I, I can't do it. All my, all my dreams are dashed. I, I can't have this fulfillment. I can't find the thing I'm trying to find. I can't get there. Right? I'm, I'm running up against this wall. And what God does, does again, again and again is He uses people like us who are impotent, who are barren, who can't do it on their own. And He says, I'm going to give you great fruit. One of the promises in Isaiah, if you look at Isaiah chapter 53, 54, 55, in the section of Isaiah, He talks about in the new covenant that barren women will be fruitful. In the new covenant that eunuchs, right, men that cannot reproduce, men that don't physically have the ability to reproduce, will reproduce. But he's talking about the spiritual fruitfulness. That God will give us spiritual fruit. God will enable us to have a fruit beyond just the job we're looking for, just the children we're looking for, just the house that we're looking for. He's going to give us spiritual fruitfulness if we can trust in that future home. If we can trust in His provision and what He's doing for us long term. By faith, she received this power. She received this power to be fruitful. Verse 12 says, Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, right? From this one man, him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them from afar, seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Right? I don't belong here. I belong there. Right? That's in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that's where we belong. We're, we're citizens of heaven, is the terminology it uses in Philippians, right? For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Again, they speak thus by the lives that they lead. Going back to Abel, right? He spoke, even though he was dead, he speaks to us. All of these folks, they weren't giving speeches, they weren't telling sermons, right? Their lives speak to who God is. Verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. There's this groaning and this longing that marks the people of God. There's a dissatisfaction that marks the people of God. So many of you have come in this morning and you weren't sure when you came in because you thought, I just don't know if I can... I can get the, the plastic smile on today, right? I don't know if I can just pretend like everything is all right anymore. And the scripture continue to tell us that the people of God are marked by this dissatisfaction of this world. The people of God are marked by a brokenness and a, and a longing for a true homeland. So if you are perfectly happy all the time, chances are you don't really know this truth that they're talking about, right? If there's no groaning, if there's no longing, if there's no... Struggling for that true homeland. If, if you think you've found the perfect home now, and you've got a death grip on it, and you will kill, and, and won't let anybody take it away from you, that's, that's a good indicator that you're not trusting in that future home. That you don't have faith in what God is doing in the world. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So if that was the homeland they were talking about, they would have had a chance to go back to it. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called our God. If we have that groaning and that longing for something better, He's not standing there angry with you saying, How dare you not be satisfied in this broken world? He's saying, That's right. You should be unsatisfied. You should have a discontent. You should have a longing. Just don't try to fill it here. Don't think the answer is, is a better job. Oh, the answer is a new spouse, right? The answer is more medication. The answer is more entertainment. Those, those things may put a band-aid on the pain that you're going through right now. But he's saying the answer, God says, the answer is me. God says, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come, come to me and I'll give you rest. And that's where the answer is, is in Him, in the home that He's preparing for us, in the city that He's providing for us. As I was trying to think through this idea of, of the trusting in the here and now versus the future, I was just thinking about our struggle uh, with our own uh, human frailty, right? Our own weakness as human beings living in a broken world. I have a picture here of a doctor's office. I apologized earlier um, to those doctors we have here. No offense to you, but, but oftentimes the doctor's office can be a place of bad news, Right? Uh, sometimes the doctor's office can be a place where you're given news, and I would phrase it something like this, I'm, I'm sorry, but you're not immortal. 
right? I'm sorry, but you're not going to live forever. I'm sorry, but your body is, is falling apart. Um, and, and some of we've talked about this before. Some of us are dying faster than others, right? Some of us have more pain. Uh, some of us are more brokenhearted about this than others. But, but we're all on that same track. We're all dying. We're all crumbling. Our bodies have no foundation. Our, the here and now has no foundation. Trusting in the now is, is not going to work. It's, it's going to run out. And part of living by faith is, is, is taking that death grip off of the here and now. Being willing to let go. Right? As you let go of that, it doesn't mean you just you know become some slob lift street and you don't care anymore about life. Right? What, what it means is that you put your faith in the future. Then God sets you free to really work in the here and now, to really be of use, to really love your spouse, to really do a good job at work, because you're not doing a good job at work to win approval, to, to win the here and now, to win the sweepstakes, but you're doing a good job at work because you know you've got a future inheritance. You're doing a good job at work because you know you love and you care for. You love your spouse because you know you've been loved, even when you didn't deserve it. Right? And so living in light of the future transforms the way we live here and now. It makes us these resident aliens that, that are of use to this place, even though we don't belong to this place. We're able to love this place. We're able to see that God has made us missionaries, that God has sent us here for His purposes, that He's prepared this place in heaven for us, this future home where everything's going to be all right, and that He sent us to the here and now to help people see that, to help people see that, that future that He's preparing, to help people understand it, to help others find that hope and help others find that joy. I don't know what it is for you that you're struggling with this morning. I would just pray as I prepared this and ask you right now that you would have a sensitivity to, to God's leading in your own heart. That, that God is probably pointing out things to you right now uh, that you need to let go of. The, the city of man, the city that you are trying to build right now. He may be calling on you to, to let go of, of that. And, and it's difficult because I think what happens is we end up having... To let go of that, and often God then calls us back to live in the midst of that, right? You, you may have a spouse that you've made into a Savior, and they cannot bear up under the weight of that. They're not meant to be a Savior. They're not meant to be a God, and so you're angry with them, and you're frustrated with them, because they're not fixing your life like you thought maybe they would. And if you let go of that, that doesn't mean divorcing that spouse. That means trusting in God, right? That means taking your faith out of that spouse... So that you can trust in what God is doing for you and what He's providing for you. And as you do that in that process, that turns you free to then truly love that spouse. Instead of like coming at that spouse desperately trying to pull salvation out of them, you've got salvation. And you're free now to love that spouse. Guys, the same thing applies to your job. Maybe it's with your job. You thought this was going to be the job that was going to fix things for you. You thought this was going to be the new appointment, right? Or the new position that was going to make everything okay. So you're coming at that job. You're coming at that with a desperation, looking for life that it cannot give you. Only God can give you life. Only trusting in the future city that He is providing for us can give you life so that you're free to walk in and out of whatever job God calls you to. Whatever relationship, whatever place in life, whatever neighborhood He moves you to, you can say, God, God sent me here. To bring his grace to these people and to this situation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you showed us that by sending your son Jesus. God, for, for ten chapters, you've clarified that Jesus is the hope that we've been waiting for. God, I pray that we would live with an assurance, with a conviction, that you would change the way we live in the here and now because of our knowledge of the future that you've provided. We thank you that you're good. Thank you that you love us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.